Hi, and welcome to a Novel Ending Podcast. We're your hosts, Joanna and Kat. We chat about all things revisions, the fun stuff, the not-so-fun stuff, and the seriously, I've written like 10 novels now, why doesn't this get any easier stuff? Join us while we share our enthusiasm and tips to help you tackle your next draft before it tackles you. Hi everyone, on today's episode we'll be talking about revising subplots, plot pet peeves, and filling in plot holes. But first we have our question of the day. Would you rather have to reread your favorite book monthly or never be able to read your favorite book again after that first reading? This is sort of an easy question for me, I'm not going to lie. I always say I want to reread my favorite books to see if they're still my favorites, and I am just sort of terrible at doing it. Once I read something or watch something, it's hard for me to get back into it again when I know what's going to happen. So I would say I would rather never be able to read my favorite book again, and I would just have to live with the memory of it, (laughs) the experience, the memory of the experience. Well, I agree. For Yay! Once, right, Never thought it was going to happen. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would, I would say I would never want to be able to read my favorite book again. Because I think sometimes what makes a favorite a favorite is more than just like the content, like more than just the book or the movie or whatever. It's like the circumstances surrounding it, like who you watched it with or like where you were in your life or things like that. Because there have been certain stories that I grew up with and I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. And I reread it now. I'm like, huh. (laughs) (laughs) That is a very good point. We're all at different, we're at different places in our life. Yes. You know, every time we pick up a book. So yeah. Okay. So um, back to this episode, we are going to start talking a little bit about some subplots. So what would you say, how do you build your subplots, Kat? I don't know if I have like a really concrete answer for that. I feel like subplots are something I don't necessarily think about with the first draft and kind of discover throughout the revision process. Or So for you, do you kind of go into a story knowing subplots? Some of them. I do think that like if I have multiple POVs, I consider each point of view a subplot that I have to like regularly hit as I go through. And I think that any goals or aspects of the main character's life, which is usually sort of part of their normal life in the beginning, like I want to get into this college or I want to be a dancer or I want to ace this test or I want to win state with my volleyball team, like those things are to me subplots too because they're such a big aspect of the life that you can't just say once and then never talk about again. I think that if I know going in that there's going to be a particularly hard or important relationship in my main character's life, I consider that a subplot. So some special relationship with a grandparent or a child or something like that, I think of as a subplot. But in my revisions, when I will often do a plot graph, and I will then list all these things and sort of check mark that they show up here and there throughout the story. Yeah, that's, to me, a really big thing that writers should focus on with subplots is, and is a little hint at my pet peeves, which we'll go over later, but... It's just making sure subplots are consistent, but kind of like consistent in the background, you know, because you don't want them to overtake your your main plot. But I do see a lot of subplots get dropped in things like that. 
I do think with some of those things that I listed, some of them, it you just need a sentence mentioning it here or there so that it stays in the reader's mind that this is the thing or an aspect of the story or something that's affecting the character's life. And maybe some of you writers out there listening would be like, those are not subplots, but that is how I think of subplots as all these threads that have to be woven throughout the whole story. Do you feel like most stories have subplots? Yes. I mean, I think my definition that I'm sharing is pretty broad, right? Yeah. I think that some might think of some of that as characterization, but that characterization of like being a mom or a soccer player is a thing that makes that character act that way regularly. And so that action to me is a subplot, if that makes sense. The yeah. the physical sort of manifestation of some characterization to me is a subplot that will cause movement in the story and have an effect on day-to-day life and events that are happening in the story. Yeah. And I think, I don't know why I have such a hard time like coming up with like concrete examples and you gave a ton of like really, really good examples. And I do think like multiple POV novels is kind of easier to define like what those subplots are and Mm -hmm. things like that. Do you think of subplots as layers I think I sort of think about when someone says that a book has a lot of depth, if they're not speaking about emotional depth, or if they say that a book is very layered or a plot is very layered, to me, that is subplot work. Yeah, I think layers is more of a subplot thing. And maybe where I'm kind of getting tripped up is because a lot of subplots are so character based. So a lot has to do with character arc. And later on in this podcast, we are going to be doing a number of episodes dedicated to just revising character. And we'll be chatting about character arc and things like that. So we'll definitely be bringing up subplots again, because I feel like that's where I guess I think like emotions are a lot of like subplotty. Yes. I mean, I would list that internal emotional plot as a subplot. I think if you're writing you know, adult fantasy, there are so many action plots happening that that's almost takes up so much of, I mean, there's a lot of character. I'm not saying there's not characterization and emotion in adult fantasy. Obviously that's why they have so many more words because they have to do all those things. But if you make a list of your subplots in an adult fantasy, you could have a page long list that you don't have space to like add this character's relationship with this person as a subplot. But um, if you are writing a YA contemporary or a middle grade or um, even plenty of, you know, women's fiction or romance, a lot of what's happening in that book is that character interacting with their environment. So I, I guess that line sort of between characterization and the parts of that character that like have tendrils out into the world cause subplots to happen. Yeah. I sound so sure of myself, don't I? <laughs> you do. Uh, yeah, and something that when you were, were talking kind of jostled my memory, like, oh, yeah, I feel like a romance or character relationships are, like, really good fodder for subplots. Unless you're writing an adult romance book, you know, that should not be the subplot of your book if that's, like, your whole genre. But especially, you know, young adult. And I know a lot of contemporary books now have like kind of romance as like the main kind of goal of the character the, or whatever. But a lot of times the it external is kind plot, of, the actual action plot is the romance. Yes. Yeah. But I do feel like 
you often hear people like, oh, I love this type of book. I love contemporary with a hint of romance. And that, to me, signals that romance is the subplot. Right. Yeah. So I also think that, obviously, another really easy subplot is if you have a strong antagonist, and not just necessarily only in fantasy where there's, like, the bad guy. But sometimes an antagonist can be a person who loves your character very much and wants what's best for them, but sees what's best for them as completely opposite of what your character thinks and what the reader thinks is best for your main character. So that strong a strong antagonist will propel a subplot because they're going to be working behind the scenes to like help this person or, but maybe also be kind of cutting them down at the knees while they think they're helping and stuff like that. So that, you know, knowing what your antagonist is doing behind the scenes will cause action to seep into your main character's life. And that can be a subplot too. Um, But an antagonist is not always an actual person, right? Even if it's someone who loves them or a bad guy. Um, But that antagonist could be a larger force in society, like in a case, in the case of rebellions, for example. Yeah, I feel like fantasy, to some extent, like sci-fi has a lot of that, you know, the bigger society at large, or the government or like the reigning power, whatever, as kind of that main antagonist. And I feel like those types of stories are really rich for a lot of subplots because there's just a lot of like nuances with political systems, you know, and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, that can affect your main characters day to day and goals and stuff. And even I think society in and of itself as an abstract being can be an antagonist. Um, Society tells us how to do things and what to do and when to do them. And has a lot of framework that we as like a communal mind have like either allowed it to have or more specifically made it into. And, you know, there's often people who that doesn't work for them. And so society as an abstract can be any society, any society you're making up or any part of society that you are tackling in your story. Yeah. And I think to go along with the abstractness of an antagonist is sometimes your setting can be mm-hmm. an antagonist. You know, if you're writing a story that takes place in a cursed town or something that, you know, yes. has it out for your main character, you know, that can create a lot of subplot fodder. Or even a desert or a landscape that is difficult to, that you maybe aren't exactly fighting against, but that is causing a struggle. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. When you said desert, I was like, oh, you know, if you think of some like survival stories where, you know, obviously like the goal is to survive, but the main plot might be something totally different. You know, think of like the amazing race or something, you know, where you have a plot and it's a race and you want to beat the teams or whatever. But then because of like the environments and stuff, like those are going to create lots of really rich, like conflict and ups and downs and and stuff in your kind of subplot Mm -hmm. that affect like the main plot. Um, I did listen many, many years ago to Janice Hardy of Fiction University. I'm not sure if you can still search her online, but she says that a good subplot, or she did at one point in her life say (laughs) that a good subplot will add complications to your core conflict, be a step to achieving that core conflict, or cause trouble in your character's internal or personal story arc. 
Those are all really great. I haven't heard of fiction university. I think way back when I was a young writer and I was going to a lot of conferences and trying to learn craft without going to school because I had two young children. I think she had some YouTube videos um, or in a website and things online that I listened to her for a while. We can double check and maybe put that in the show notes if her website still exists. Yeah, very cool. So something else to kind of think about with subplots and because I, I feel like a lot of stories have more than one subplot is how are you kind of weaving them in your story? Are you rotating kind of like organically between them or are you lining them up one by one? Joanna, do you feel like there's like a right way to do this or wrong way or dependent on the story? I think it's dependent on the story. I definitely think that there are some genres that you really need to stick close to cause and effect like action or adventure and fantasy because those action plots, you need kind of that thing to propel you. If you are writing literary fiction or character-driven novel, I mean, there's definitely... I definitely think you should always be thinking cause and effect to some extent, but I do think that some of those slower or quieter novels, and I'm not saying those words with any like shame, like there's a place for everything, but you can much more systematically be here and then be there and then be here and then be there. And it's like this slow braiding of stories and subplots intersecting. So I think it depends on what you're writing and what you're wanting to write, what you're aiming to write and what works for your story that you're telling. Yeah, and I think the main goal is just not to forget your subplots altogether, (laughs) you know, because that can also lead to some unsatisfaction at the end. And that can lead to your pet peeves, probably, I would imagine. It could, yes. And I did have a quick question that popped up. Do you, in your opinion, feel like you should resolve subplots before resolving your main plot? I never think of it that way. I don't even think of it. At all. Okay, so let me pull up my almost release coming May 16th, In One Life and Out Another. It is a character-driven story, and there is a romantic subplot, and there is a friendship subplot, and there is a parental relationship subplot. And it's not a strict romance, and I, I feel like I should sort of comp it that way because it is a romance. There is a romance, but the romance resolves mostly first. Um, so that is not the general, like if you're going in wanting a romance novel, that's not, you're not going to get the regular like structure of a romance novel. And then that romance resolving propels the relationships to resolve and then the parental relationship. Maybe I shouldn't be giving this all away. And then the parental relationship resolves. And then there's a little trouble with the romance because, you know, um, it's not like that smooth sailing. But point being is I don't think that I would normally do it that way. I think normally I sort of resolve everything about the same time. I mean, not everything can be resolved in the climax, but I think sometimes I'll resolve some of those subplots after the climax in the resolution. Sometimes the climax will resolve some of those things implicitly, even if it's not expressed directly in the climax. I guess there's no right or wrong way to do it. That's also kind of dependent on what your story calls for. But yeah, I was, I was just kind right. of curious on your, if you had like a strong opinion Ult- about that. Ultimately, let that book be a living, breathing thing, right? And tell you what it needs. Yeah. And then get 
some good critique partners who, you know, tell you if you're wrong. So there you go. (laughs) Okay. So I have just a few pet peeves about plot. So I'm just going to kind of run through these. So my biggest pet peeve is what I like to call pulling your punch. So that's when an author kind of sets up for a big moment. It's usually something very bad that's going to happen to the character. And then, you know, in the next chapter, or the next scene, everything gets magically resolved or they skirt around it or the bad thing happens. I think a lot of times it does come down to the author, like not wanting to hurt their, right. their character babies, which I understand. Yes. Lean into that conflict. Like even if your main character is passive and they're supposed to learn to not be passive, like you still need to lean into that conflict and push them. Yeah. So if you set up conflict and a bad thing, follow through with the conflict and the bad thing. Uh, Another pet peeve would be plots that start strong and then get wonky halfway through. (laughs) Uh, I I I probably shouldn't give any examples, but I've read, you know, a couple of books where, you know, oh, great premise, like great inciting incident, like you're so excited. And then halfway through the book, you're like, oh, man, this is (laughs) jumping the shark a bit here. I'm going to just go out there and say that every time I start a book and I don't know it's about zombies and then it turns into zombies, that's how I feel. (laughs) Yes. But I recognize that I'm not a fan of zombies. Yes. My husband makes up for it, though, so. (laughs) So next one would be putting in plot twists that completely come out of nowhere and just don't make any sense. And it feels like they're just there for that kind of like shock value. So do you feel like, is this something you're talking about that is like coming in too late? Like maybe if this plot twist had been set up earlier, but maybe the author didn't really think anything about it. And then like at 75% was like, oh, I want to do this. And that is like too late to, to be introduced. I think a little bit as far as lateness. I think what a lot of it is, is yes, it comes in too late. And the author, you know, has his epiphany of like, oh man, this is going to be really cool. And then doesn't go back to add in the things that would like the hints and the yeah so yeah maybe it's a little bit of a laziness on the writer's part or is it coincidence there's one of my pet peeves that i think is um something that can always be fixed for a better read is that if things are happening i think i heard once that if things things can never happen to your main character by coincidence it's kind of too easy yes or maybe Sorry, I'm going back to what I just said. Maybe it was that nothing can happen by coincidence to your character for good, but a bad coincidence can happen to your character. But no one's going to believe, like, if, like, they're struggling with something and then, oh, this coincidentally happened and solved the problem, which is maybe sort of what you're talking about. Then the reader's like, come on. Yeah. They didn't have to work for that. They didn't do Uh anything for that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Okay, another plot peeve is... A plot point that the character would never do, but it's clear that the author really, really wanted to take the plot that direction, but it doesn't make sense based on character motivation. And I know we're going to be talking about characters in the later series, but yeah, kind of like that forced plot. Character informs plot and plot informs character. The author just needs to step back and let it happen. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, or they, if that's what they want, then they have to change the character to make it work for the character and the plot. Exactly. Okay, next one would be plots. Uh, this is probably more along the line of subplots. So subplots appearing out of nowhere. 
<laughs> and I think we chat about like sort of um, talked about that a bit. Yeah, yeah. Plotch was coming in too late, but yeah, I, I've you know read stories or even I think TV shows kind of fall prey to mm-hmm. this, where it's like, oh, suddenly there's an alien, and you're like, okay. what? Yeah, that's how Lost got us for so long, right? <laughs> oh, Lost. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Lost. Uh, yeah. Speaking <laughs> of Lost, um, next Peppy would be overly complicated plots. So uh, specifically ones that include way too many subplots. And we did kind of talk a little bit about how stories should have layers and kind of be like cakes or onions or, or whatever mm-hmm. in that way. But you can also go too much and just have like and then this is happening behind the scenes and this and the character wants this but then there's this cooking contest happening that has nothing to do with anything you're like what is going on and to me as an editor that's when i think what does the story really need like you're you're thinking about all the things you want and you like but what is the story need what do you need to put in there to tell the story because that's all you really need to put in there yep exactly And yeah, we talked about this already. But yeah, my last one is plot points or events that are just, you know, way too coincidental and convenient. But yeah, speaking of that, we are actually going to be covering this more in the next episode where we're going to be chatting about how to keep your story moving forward. So I would say that's more we're thinking scene by scene a little bit and momentum versus actual. I mean, that that plays into plot, obviously, but it kind of brings it down to a more particular level. Yes. So we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to another episode of a novel ending podcast. If you're a fan of the show, please help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review and by sharing this episode with your community. And make sure to check out our website, anovelending.com, to learn more about what other services we offer. Happy revising! Happy revising!